The following conversation on basic income, poverty, and electoral politics was recorded on Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. Today's conversation will be an open discussion. We will touch on the coronavirus and the UBI stimulus we're likely to get and how that may reform the economy. My name is Ariel, and my Twitter handle is Ariel's underscore Armada. That's A-R-I-E-L-S underscore A-R-M-A-D-A. And I also have a YouTube channel called Revolutionary Thinking. I'm Dizdon. Uh, I have my Twitter handle is at DizdonPlays, D-I-S-D-O-N-N-P-L-A-Y-S. And um, I've also got a Twitch and YouTube account under both of those. My name is Robin Schaufler, and my Twitter handle is Robin is the Bird. So that's uh, Robin with a capital R, like the bird, is with a capital I, the with a capital T, bird with a capital B. This is Travis Lamberth, and my Twitter handle is Travis Lamberth, which is T-R-A-V-I-S-L-A-M-B-I-R-T-H. Thank you, Travis. Right, right, exactly. It's like they worship at the shrine of like, you know, these pieces of paper and these computer digits that are just, you know, uh, rhetoric. If you really think about it, it's an abstraction of rhetoric. Look at cryptocurrency. Right. Exactly. So they they rather worship the computer digits and the pieces of paper than people's health and you know um, mental and physical health. They 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 sacrifice that at at the shrine of this bullshit because they're a bunch of scumbags. I don't know. That's what I think. Well, well the first thing be is that today? testing has not gotten to be universal, so we don't even know where hot spots really are or are not. There actually might be huge regions that could be completely open for business. There might be huge regions where there is literally nobody infected. Uh, And as long as they uh, uh, create a border and don't allow uh, passage uh, through that border without uh, some sort of confirmation of negative testing um uh we have no idea what the effects will be yeah i guess they could do that they can like test the whole kind of like city because like hi everybody yeah Yeah, well the the roadblocks to testing are partly uh, uh insufficient numbers of test kits but also uh insufficient swab solution and swab containers uh, and furthermore, there's no um, uh, simplified packaging for the swabbing, so we can't do it ourselves. Uh, and um, lack of um, protective gear for the healthcare workers that would have to do the swabbing. So if the, the, the protective gear could be uh, avoided, um, or at least the problem of it could be avoided if they could quickly develop uh, a test you could do at home. Mm-hmm. But still to like gamble with your life is, uh, I guess, I guess we're doing that every day when we cross the street, but. Well, the yeah. thing is that if we had it, if it, well, it, no, it's not the same thing as crossing the street at all because crossing the street isn't contagious. Uh, so like, it, it, I mean, like the, the risk isn't that um, you Ariel get sick. You're probably going to, if you got sick, you would probably have symptoms that would be hardly any worse than a regular cold. Uh, the problem is that then you might infect somebody who has uh, either a, a depressed immune system or is, much older than you, uh, and then they might die. Uh, so if, if they had a test kit that was packaged in such a way that you could do the testing at home, and they had like millions and millions of these things and sent them out for free to the entire population so that every single morning when you get up, you could test yourself for uh, coronavirus, then if you got a positive, you'd self-quarantine. And if you got a negative, you would be free to go out and 
work or gather with other people who tested negative and do as you please. And if you had, if, if, if the test ha- had some sort of little uh, um, symbol that popped up on the, the, uh, the little test kit that would stick around for at least 24 hours, you could take it with you. And part of the cost of admission into wherever you were going would be to show your positive morning test kit. Mm. And, and that would, that would solve the whole problem. In a country of 300 million people, easier said than done. (laughs) Well, you know, if, if they had been, if we were doing emergency preparedness, um as a on a regular basis this could be done yeah. um cuz like the first thing that they would need to do is to create sort of the the building blocks of a um a an at home testing kit uh for for viruses in general uh and then when a new pandemic uh that comes along if it's a virus as opposed to a bacteria uh, then um, you mobilize um, researchers to adapt it to that particular virus. And if you also have the emergency preparedness to leap into production with these things, it could be done. You know, it's like wartime. Mm. Like Trump says he's a wartime president, but he's not acting like it. But mm-hmm. like if, if you're the key to being a good wartime president is to be a good peacetime president and exercise preparedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Trump says a lot of things that sometimes he has no idea what he's saying. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to get the discussion onto Trump. This goes for anybody. I, I don't think that uh, Obama did the preparedness thing either. I, right. I suspect that nobody since, uh, well, it it's hard to even think of a president. That's I, done I, I mean, the thing is, is that we all just think we're invincible until we're not. And that's the problem. I think one of the things this virus is going to teach the world, especially here in the United States, is that everybody is vulnerable. Like there, there's no such thing as just like, Oh, like I'm, I'm never like at risk or vulnerable. It's like, things will just go like, you know, like, like people are so stuck in their routines and they never come out of it. And I think if there's one thing that this thing is going to teach us is that like, you know, we, we have to think outside the box. Now there's no such thing as like, you know, just, just thing like, like our, the the way that we look at things has to has to evolve and adapt and and we can't stay stuck in any like one mindset or one way of thinking i think that would be great if that actually happened i think that uh i think it's unlikely i mean given that um yeah. the country as a whole has not uh adapted to uh the issue of mass shootings um, I think it's unlikely that the country is really going to respond to oh it. Oh God, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking of just like yeah. I I just I, I don't know. I'm, I I gotta get out of here. Like I don't know. It's uh, I will I can't do it. But but yeah, you're right. Like the mass shooting thing is so horrific, and everybody just like oh like well my guns I want my like me. It's like uh, I can't. Yeah, I don't know what to say. If I got mine, I don't care about anybody else but myself. I care about my family and my freedom. I can't take that. Like, dang, it's like people are dying. But my freedom, man. It's like, I can't. It'd be a lot easier if people realized there was a happy medium where they could keep Mm -hmm. their guns that they use for hunting and reasonable uses but they could you know not have the guns that they use for say i don't know quote-unquote self-protection how many people have ever had to fire a gun against another person to protect themselves very very seldom i think that i i think that uh the reason why um rural people are so attached to both uh god and guns is that 
they actually have very, very little control over their lives. If you think about what it's like to be a farmer, uh, you're subject to all sorts of risks that your typical city dweller is not subject to. Uh, there, there are a million things that could go wrong with the crops, that could go wrong with the distribution channel, that could go wrong with your supply channels, um, and you have no control over any of it. Uh, so, you know, you do your best and you might still have uh, total crop failure uh, and uh, lose everything. So um, since they feel so out of control with regard to their, their main livelihood, they need something in their lives mm. that gives them a sense of control. And so the thing that gives them a sense of control is having a gun, because at least if you have a gun, you can protect your household, despite the fact that the nearest police force might be a half hour drive away. And that's even going at top speed with the sirens blaring. Mm. And the reason why they are so attached to their God is that then they can sort of turn the rest of the insecurity over to some superpower. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I think we have to have a lot of sympathy and empathy for, um, for the rural uh, God and gun community. It's, it's mm-hmm. a very hard life. Sure. It doesn't I'm- give them an excuse. Fear is no excuse. And everyone's going to be living in the fear of this, outbreak and having the same lack of control over whether they live or die based upon what's going on right now. And honestly, it's not going to give anyone any excuse for any atrocities they commit, any delays they do, none of it. It's not an excuse. We are evolved human beings with a public education system. People can become educated and know things and know better and know better ways to adjust and accommodate for these crop failures and petition to the government to help subsidize them so that they're not as bad off. So again, it's, it's way different than what it was a hundred or 200 years ago when literally everyone was relying upon that. And, and I think like in the times of the 07 and 08 recession, like our government could have like helped them instead of like just, the wall street people so i mean i don't know or maybe they did i i don't know but uh but yeah like i i i just i just think that that so so much of this country is uh neglected and taken for granted and then the the other side of the country is just like you know you know like any little thing that they do like they're they're always saved and helped and it's it's terrible it's it's like having you know the one the one kid that you know they they can do no wrong but then the other kid that's like you know that that's that's doing right and one little mistake they make they're like punished <laughs> it's it's like or or like or like one kid has to pick up the slack for all the failings of the other one because that's that's just the way it is it's like the taxpayers not like have to foot the bill for the incompetence and the greed and the reckless behavior of the financial sector and what what does the financial sector like produce that's actually of like tangible value or any kind of value no they just they just throw numbers around and you know like i don't i don't know well some of them maybe but like yeah it's i don't know it's it's not it's crazy but it's up to us to raise our voices and and what was there was something trending uh, last night on twitter it said not dying for wall street because <laughs> still trending this morning so, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it says like and even even like now the veterans and the people in the military are thinking like, is this really the country that I'm fighting for? Like maybe the main threat isn't out there, but it's in here, you know? <laughs> kind of makes you think, right? <laughs> maybe we've been looking outward this whole time. <laughs> when we had a chance to look in inward and see like, hmm, maybe the real enemy is unfortunately it's inside of us. <laughs> right you know, that the quote it said we have seen the enemy and it's like us <laughs> it's like 
<laughs> you know, but well, I mean, I, like, I feel, I feel that uh, really what people should be crying out for is uh, emergency preparedness. Um, and I, that goes for climate change. That goes for um, the uh, increased natural disasters due to climate change. And it goes for pandemics and other t- kinds of health outbreaks. Yeah, that's and, good. You know, I mean, like if if um, if we had a good emergency preparedness system that was stable and able to actually do its job, uh, we could have um, very very swiftly mobilized uh, at home test kits. Should we go back to reminding the entirety of our government that? We had a uh, very intelligent man who helped uh, write parts of the Constitution and helped found our country, who once was quoted as saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure by the name of Benjamin Franklin. I mean, come on. Have we forgotten this? Have we forgotten? Oh, we've absolutely forgotten it. And that's that's why nothing's been done about climate change. That's why nothing's been done about um, preventing gun violence um, and uh, prevention of uh, all sorts of different health outbreaks, uh, you know, pandemics. And um, I, I suppose there's there, there are things that maybe don't quite rise to the, the level of pandemic, but that uh, are close, like uh, the, the, the AIDS crisis, the opiate crisis. Uh, you know, that this is like if if we had an emergency preparedness system for these sorts of things, we could mobilize quickly. And the only so the only emergency preparedness that we seem to be willing to do is military. But at this point, I think that military preparedness is not the the uh, the, the most key threat. I think um, the the universal basic income would have that if we had that the 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 oh eight oh nine uh financial crisis would have never happened i don't know or or at least like it like the fallout wouldn't have been so damaging exactly i agree right. yeah 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 you know, the, there there are, there are so many things where the fallout would be much less damaging if we had the ubi right. and the main reason but for all these people not wanting to do emergency preparedness for not wanting to do climate change preparedness for not wanting any of this is simply greed cost. It costs them money to be prepared. And unfortunately they don't realize that when they're dying of coronavirus or old age or our planet becoming an inhospitable hellscape, their money's not going to save them. Their their greed uh, costs them more than the actual cost of, you know, whatever. Because, I mean, like, I, I looked, like, in, like, like because I was kind of, like, not, you know, that, like, in, in the 08, 09 recession, like, I could have invested in the stock market, but I was like, yeah, I'd rather, like, keep all of this. But I think if I did, I'd be in a much better position. <laughs> but I was I was young. I was really, I was just like in college. So now, now I'm really thinking about it because uh, if this thing rebounds, uh, I don't want to be left behind. So, and and if the interest rates are going to keep on being cut, I, I have a money in the online bank, but it's hardly getting any interest. So it's like, like if the government doesn't care about the people and just bails out the companies, which that, that would be cause for like a second American revolution, <laughs> but but then I I won't be left behind because I'll have some of my money with the companies. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. <laughs> I think investment in um, in equities is a really good idea. Pretty much at any time, if you just look at the overall trend, the overall trajectory, um, the thing to do is to invest in the market for the long term. So uh, you're looking at it in decades not in days or weeks right Right. but then you you also need to have some sort of risk management strategy uh i i've always turned to investment advisors to help me with that because 
um, doing the risk management, that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a shame we don't learn about this when we're getting older. It's like we learn about math, but never about like, like how directly correlates. Andrew Yang brought it up. He said, you know, you can learn about it and it'd be great if we did, but even if we did, I think we do get a tiny bit of financial literacy here and there sometimes in high school for lucky. Right. And Andrew Yang's own words, if you don't have a dollar, you know, if you don't have $2 to rub together, it doesn't mean anything to you. You can't yeah. actionize. That's not a word, but you can't, it's not actionable advice. You can't put not into practical. Action. Right. It's, yeah, so, exactly. So, so yeah, it's, it's, so you can't, because it's not an actionable piece of advice. It just goes right. in one ear and out the other. And it's well, very it, important. And if you just had a basic income, you could actually right. participate in right. capitalism the way well, that our government. Well, I mean, okay. Think about it this way. Like you, you, you give a cooking class to a homeless person. <laughs> like they, they don't they don't have a kitchen like what what the hell are you doing you know the masses it's like okay you're giving this person a cooking class and they don't have a kitchen so you you know you're you're, you're giving this person like uh, a helmet and they don't have like a bicycle you're you're giving this person like you know yeah it's like all of all this policy yeah. all this financial theory is predicated on the idea that people yeah. have financial agency and they only Function. do if they have a UBI that's why it's, our it's like hey you you know like join our uh, running class it's like i lost my legs in the vietnam war like how am i going to join you know lear- learn to run you don't have any legs it's like do oh. <laughs> oh yeah you know also hey shale's back now we can introduce ourselves and stuff <laughs> Oh, you don't have to. You can. I mean, it's the middle of the show now. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is introduce you in a voiceover in post-production instead. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, you can introduce yourselves at the end of the show with your name and your Twitter. And then we'll do the second show from this recording, which will be a debate on credentialism. So that'll be fun. Um, but all this right. is a good good episode. And I want to give you guys all the time you have to keep yeah. talking about today's to un- unpack so, all of this <laughs> yeah so so i mean it i mean i mean we it, it's so it's so unbelievable how we separate home and school into these arbitrary things it's like i remember going to school and not being in a good mood because of what was going on at home and then like the teachers and the administration are like oh that has nothing to do with here that's over there, over here. Is like, no, no, yes, it does. Don't be stupid. Like, 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 like. I'm, I'm sure. Like, I remember, like, having uh, uh, teachers that came to school in a bad mood because of like what was going on in their lives. So, of course, what's going on in your lives is going to have an effect on what's going on in school, and like vice versa. They draw these arbitrary lines, and it's so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's really bad that the two topics that we're, you know, basically we're given were, you know, do we think that UBI is going to happen? And if it does, is it going to become permanent before 2024? And then the pandemic stuff, it's all rolled in together. Why? Because our lovely government is not doing shit about either of those right now. They're busy bickering over, hey, should we have windmill subsidies or a bailout for Wall Street in these bills? Like, fucking No. Focus on the shit that happens for now, now, and fix the shit about who's going to pay back to the government, how much, whatever, later. We need UBI now. We need action on lockdown for this whole fucking shit now. It's like it's like watching a toddler play with a loaded gun. I mean, you've seen. I think we've all seen the articles from the experts about how we're looking at 40 to 80% of the United States population is going to get this with a 2%. And this is based upon what's coming out of Italy and Spain right now over the last couple of days, especially Spain. 2% is low fucking balling it right now. 2% mortality is low fucking balling it. Cause right now Spain has 7% mortality rate. So 2% out of 306 million, if 80% get that, that's 244 million will get it. And then 2% of that is fucking 5 million people are going to die if they don't do a goddamn thing about this. And Trump wants to, like you said, end social distancing pretty soon. <laughs> 2 to 5 million people are going to die. When are they going to get fucking charged as war criminals? <laughs> well, that, like if anybody votes for an incumbent 
this time around, it's like they've been sleeping under a rock. <laughs> you know? Well, I That's mean, I mean, it depends. they have been. What are we going to do about all the people who just are content to sleep under rocks until we die or they die? And like, <laughs> this just, I don't know what to do. People I don't know. We, 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 we were the rock and we, but the people who, but Shale and Ariel, the thing is, is that the people who have been sleeping under the Fox News rock and think that everything's going to be fine. They're over 65. They're Trump's base. They are going to die of this. And. <laughs> What's going to happen when 5 million well, of the most likely voters for Trump die off? Well, did, did, did you watch Tucker, Car- did, did you walk Tucker Carlson? He, he didn't mind to die. He said, oh, well, I mean, I've lived a full life. If the, if the economy can go on and if I have to die, like, I guess that's fine. I want to leave this stupid system to my children so they can suffer under it too. So let me die if it means, like, business is good. You know, no, he he just he just said that he was from Texas, and he and he he basically he just said that he just said that. So yeah, yeah. The trouble the trouble is they're all thinking completely about themselves. Even even the guy who says I don't mind dying for the economy, what he's forgetting is that if he is in, infected, then he becomes a, a distributor of the infection mm-hmm. to people who maybe don't want to die. Right. And, and, and it's not just affecting old people. It, like a lot of young people are being even healthy young people that in some rare circumstances, you know, which sucks. <laughs> well, you know, you know we, we can't really wor- worry too much about the rare circumstances where uh, healthy young people are, are suffering uh, and dying, but um, there, because I mean, like that's, in, that's inevitable and, like if it's super rare, then there's just so much uh, resource we yeah. can put into that. But the problem is that right. there are young people with compromised immune systems, either because right. of E or because of diabetes or other chronic diseases. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if you've got one of these chronic immunodeficiency diseases, you're vulnerable even if you are uh, a child or a young adult. I mean, I will put a little bit of, I guess, good news into this discussion. The last thing that I saw uh, from Scott Santons, the uh, former worker who was doing UBI with Yang and is now working with the guy who's running up against uh, Mitch McConnell. um, He posted something about how the latest bill that it looks like they're proposing in the house is 1.5 K per person, either adult or child up to three children, no means testing. And they will just have it. They will just have it where if you earn over $75,000 as an individual or $150,000 as a family, then they will have a tiered payback system on the next, uh, four years of taxes. That is what we need, but guess what's going to happen? It's going to stall because they're going to decide, oh, we're going to add solar, or we're going to add, or the Republicans are going to add abortion bans, or whatever, and it, it's just fucking, fucking stupid! Them. Yeah, it's it, it boils my blood at this point. Leave your ideology to the fucking side. Just let's just do this thing, and then if you want to argue about your stupid ideologies are you later okay you you want to talk about that stuff and bigger about yourselves you know you know put you know do that later just pass this damn you know ubi thing where where you can tax it on the back end and what's done is done and then and then after that do do all this shit because and, the, and then what's going to happen after that the these scum like probably it's going to be like the republicans are going to do another counter offer where they put their ideological crap into it and then and then it, another means tested one and then they're just going to go back and forth and and if they could just put the ideology on the side for five minutes and just say okay let's just focus on the money and that's that i swear like like they should go down in the history books if they do this and have like a mark next to their freaking names, but what's their what motivation for not doing it? I mean, they stay in power no matter what, right? We just vote because they control elections. I, I don't know. Well, uh, you're also getting a lot of pushback from individuals who are 
immediately suffering and need to go back to work. Um, but uh, <clears throat> or have this is one reason why I think that that um, really the top priority among Yang Gang ought to be uh, Yang's miscellaneous policies for fixing uh, our government. Like he, he actually had uh, quite a suite of different uh, ideas that all I felt worked together really nicely uh, to to reform our government. Uh, term term bans, fixing gerrymandering. He had a thing in there about uh, banning pol- political people from going into lobbying or lobbyists going into political positions <laughs> for a certain number of years. And the thing is, as as Shale said, yes, they're still going to remain in power, but they're not going to repay. The thing is, is they're not going to remain in power in Congress. They know that this is their last term. At this point, they realize that Trump has fucked the pooch so bad with this coronavirus that most, if not all of them, are going to be voted out. But they'll stay in in power because right now they're trying to pass many, 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 many giveaways to corporations that they will become lobbyists for as soon as they're out of fucking office. (laughs) Yeah, and lobbyists, or, 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 you know, the the next generation of those same plutocrats will just be ushered in with new procedures you know electoral laws that ensure only the right people even get on the ballot and then it's not a real contest it's kind of just a pageant and we go through this electoral theater and it's just going to be more neoliberals and conservatives because we just have no mechanisms by which to get anything else and i don't know what to do no matter what happens is what we get well, well, seriously, I think we should be directing uh, the, the the best part of our activism towards reforming government. Yeah, uh, and you know, you know, just like Diston uh, mentioned, Yang had this very comprehensive plan for reforming government. Um, the only thing that I would want to add to his plan. Uh, that I didn't see in there is reforming um, the RNC and the DNC. Um, now, uh, the I hadn't really thought about it until somebody brought it up. I think it was actually on one of the earlier episodes of this podcast that RNC and DNC are for-profit corporations. Yes, they're not actually. Uh- yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for cutting you off there, Robin. That is this. I'm glad you brought that up. That is a great thing to consider. But it's like, what do we do about that? You know, they are right. for-profit corporations. Can but, we do anything about it? But show, let me I, ask. I think, first, I think the first thing to do is to try and get at least some of Andrew's other uh, government reforms into action. And after each reform gets enacted, uh, take a step back and evaluate the, yeah. the results, evaluate the situation and, and, uh, and, and see what the next step ought to be. Baby steps. So when you say put his reforms in action, absolutely. I, I, I was so on board with, with Yang's governmental reforms right behind UBI. They were my second favorite. Um, but how, when we, it seems that the people simply have literally no influence or an insignificant amount of influence uh, on the get, government. Get, get, How do we I, get I those informs? How do we get those? I don't informs? know. Like, like, like all these like dumbass politicians always talk about like how like the military like like um and they supported and they supported our troops. Like, I don't like get 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 military people on our side. And and say well the, the the you know we're we're fighting an internal war and it's like um you know there's this guy Richard Ojeda and he want he's he's some of these military people don't like what the you know some some of our government officials are doing so get get them involved and get get them to be it so so they can't hide under that bullshit of like oh we're patriotic no you are not patriotic you are not you are part of the problem and you're you're actually like like destroying our country from the inside and you know we should be fighting a war against you <laughs> i know that sounds harsh but that's I a really, really good idea to- ariel to get uh, to get the generals and admirals on our side Right. I mean, there's a twofold Can we response elaborate on to that. who the generals and admirals are? That's an interesting. Uh, hold hold idea. up a minute. Um, uh, I have a twofold response for that. I First and foremost, 
uh, governmental employees are subject to the Hatch Act. All military personnel are government employees. So technically, they cannot be for or against politicians publicly. So we can't even get that on a legal basis unless we were to repeal the Hatch Act. And secondly, um, I have a good friend of mine who is in the military. He's slowly rising up the ranks in the Air Force. Um, he works on fighter planes and helps uh, them with building new ones. Yes, he totally hates the uh, F-35 or whatever that $3 trillion money sink was, but he hates Trump. He hates the policies, but he can't do anything publicly because of the Hatch Act. And there are many others in the military who support him, and they also were behind Yang and backed Yang. But the problem therein is, if, say, Trump were to realize, or whoever was in act who was in office were to realize that we were trying to um, remove them or remove their ability to ensure that they will consistently stay in power by nullifying our votes. They have to obey those orders or be fired. So it's, it's one of those really tricky double-edged swords. Mm. Uh, Shale, you got the floor. So how does the Hatch Act not uh, constitute a a violation at the constitutional level of freedom of speech? I honestly don't know. Um, It should. um, But I believe there's something somewhere in the Constitution that allowed it or the Supreme Court allowed it. Um, You'll have to talk with our mutual friend, uh, Steve-O, about that, Shale. He's uh, talked to me about that in private as well. But I can't remember everything he said. So, so I mean, like Are the military's oath. Yes, going. Uh, the military's oath is to like protect and defend the Constitution. So, are they they're in violation of their own oath by following the Hatch Act? <laughs> it's, it's 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 very paradoxical, you know. <laughs> it's, everything is this a is the paradoxical darkest timeline. I mean, right. Not somewhere along the lines, all of us were back in the Berenstein universe and now we're in the Berenstein universe and it's shit. <laughs> yeah, so, that, you know, I hate the Mandela effect, man. It's, it's like when it's people get ironic. their worldview shaken, you see more stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And it just becomes a, a self-fulfilling sort of thing. Oh, Robin, please. Right. It, we have to take a generational view, actually a, a multi-generational view, which is really hard to do when you're in your 20s or 30s. Uh, so I'm a boomer, and I'm proud of it. Uh, okay, boomer meme notwithstanding. <laughs> uh, and uh, like one of the few things that old age does give you <laughs> is a multi-generational view. So... You just can't expect uh, anything that you do to have an immediate effect. You have to plan on a lifetime of uh, battling the issues that uh, that um, hurt hurt the the people. So, like just looking back on um, the the civil rights movement, for instance, you know things things didn't end the minute that they marched in Montgomery. Right. Uh, And you could argue that civil rights is still an issue today. But um, if you look over the whole trajectory of uh, over the course of um, the past 50, 60 years, uh, there's been vast improvement. Yeah, we we still that doesn't mean we don't that doesn't mean it's perfect. That doesn't mean we don't still have a long way to go. But, uh, you know, like just looking at numerically the uh amount of um african-american middle class in the u.s and the the number of african-americans um in uh in government you know and heck we even had a black president uh like in in 1962 a black president or even a black candidate for president or even an asian candidate for president would have been Outright impossible. I mean, back in 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 the late fifties, early sixties, um, it was revolutionary that John F. Kennedy could run for president when he was a Catholic. 
I know, right? It'd be great to have an atheist president at some point. Also, hey, Travis, is your mic working today? <laughs> right. I didn't mean to bring religion specifically into the conversation. Um, I mean, like, you know, we we also had Joe Lieberman, a Jewish candidate for president. But 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 like, so I'm not talking about specific religions or races, and and you know, also consider women. Uh, like Hillary Clinton ran for president. We had a whole bunch of uh, candid, female candidates. But like, basically, all of these candidates would have been. It would have been completely impossible in 1962. Why in 19 in 1962. Um, even running for minor office was uh, was out of the question for almost all of these people, and and like you know segregation was still a a, a huge issue. Like we we've we've made a lot of progress by people objecting by having uh, protest marches and people writing to uh, uh, their their government officials by getting things into the media um, by education uh, and so like today's generation is a lot more tolerant than the generation uh immediately prior to mine. And I think that that's largely due to a lot of the efforts of the boomers. You know, the, mm. the boomers were the ones that were out Certainly, there marching yes, for civil rights. And I think, um, you know, as much as there might be an element of a very simple schadenfreude in it, uh, it, it's really not a good way to go about it, to think, to, 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 to demonize a generation, um, especially, you know, if you're very young, like Zoomers, and you don't have the experience of being alienated by a younger generation at all. You don't even know what that's like. <laughs> um, so you've got no empathy for that. Uh, at least, you know, you may, maybe, maybe you can imagine, but, but uh, it doesn't just come as a baseline. And that framework of, of, ge- of a generational divide that I even see MSNBC sometimes pushing is very unproductive, counterproductive, because it really is a class issue being framed as a generational issue. And it's not, it's not okay to just be like, yeah, we got to just kill the olds. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that that is ridiculous. I I literally see a lot of young people who are, I'm sure are like mostly joking when they say it, but it comes from an element of real, real anger and they feel really betrayed. And then there's some reason to, but, 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 it's really not just a generational issue so much as, as a class. Uh, and I'm and I'm sure that like Robin would agree that like me as as a millennial, I I felt like like le, le, let me just take you through the the thing is like I don't I don't drink I don't smoke I don't go to like large parties and like jump up and down. It was like I I I was I was basically like a really good student. You might even say that like sometimes I was a teacher's pet. And I was really looking forward to the day where I have like a job that I'm passionate about with coworkers that I like making a difference in the world, maybe like running, like, like, like doing some kind of public speaking gigs and stuff like that. And then the 08 recession hit and it was like jobs were really hard to come by and income was really hard to make. And I really, really didn't appreciate the millennial stereotypes of like, Oh, they're lazy and they don't want to work and all they like is partying and they're in front of their, you know, phones all day. It's like I just wanted to get my fist and like punch them across the TV screen and like tell them like like to wake up because that that was not I like we 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 have no representation in government or 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 anywhere. It's it's like like the, the talking heads that are all or older than us can just say whatever the hell they want about like who we are and how we live our lives and all these people and it's like we don't we don't have a chance to speak back and have like a rebuttal and I that that really really was making me frustrated and pissed off. It's it's like, hey, I don't need your stereotypes. We need to find a way out of this this mess that was created by you know not not by the boomers, but by a, a certain cohort of the boomers that were very irresponsible with their money and their power and everything that they had. Ariel, you sound exactly like the way that. Um... Uh, at least boomers in my circle founded uh, when we were in our uh, teens, 20s, and 30s. 
in fact, um, it was the boomer generation that coined the the term generation gap. Uh, and, uh, oh shoot. Now I can't think of the name of the, oh shoot. Now I can't think of his name, but like this really famous guy whose name is now uh, eluding me, uh, said never trust anyone over 30. And that was sort oh, of yes. an ongoing meme. Cause was like that Leary. No, that was not Timothy Leary. It, oh man, I can almost picture him. Hmm. I can't, I just, I'll think of his, you know what? I'll think of his name after it's too oh, late. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, actually I know what to do. Uh, Google. Uh, yeah. Google. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's definitely issues with pinning this all an entire generation, as you were saying, but, but at the same time, I think a, a huge distinction between our generation versus the boomers is, you know, my dad, I think made partner in his law firm when he was 35. I think the average age of partners in law firms at that time was like, around 40 now it's over 50 55 around i think of every university president there's only one non-boomer university president at this point um pretty much every single industry right now because the boomers are such a large generation they got power very early and have held on to it for a tremendous amount of time so i think there is a difference with millennials and even gen x entering the workforce where economically we're effectively disenfranchised despite mm-hmm. being promised this very specific tract of like, if you do X, go to this university, go to this school, you'll get X job. And it's like, no, those jobs don't exist anymore. Right. I think that's it's, a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I looked up never trust anyone over 30. It's attributed to Jack Weinberg, but I think the person I really associate it with is Abby Hoffman. Uh-huh. Uh so, like, yeah, we, we didn't get to assume power early, actually. Uh, we had to fight tooth and nail, and we were governed by a bunch of people in their 60s and 70s, um, you know, back when we were in our 20s and uh, in our teens, 20s and 30s. It was terribly frustrating because, um, <laughs> like, so there was, there were two just like you've got uh, two main generations that are older than you, uh, which would be Gen X and the boomers. We had two generations older than us. We had the silent generation and um, what they call the greatest generation. They're the ones that fought in world war two. And uh, the um, I'd say the silent generation, even worse than the, uh, the greatest generation were unbelievably bigoted. Um, you know, it's like we uh, we were we were born during the McCarthy era. I don't know if you've ever heard of the McCarthy era. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So so like um, you know the McCarthy and uh, and his crew, they were the people who were in power as the boomers were coming of age. And like, as, uh, as the boomers were coming of age, those people in power were sending us boomers off to Vietnam to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and um, like people who were too young to vote were being um, drafted into the army. Uh, so like, um, you know, we didn't even have a say in whether we were going to go to Vietnam and fight this um, uh, war that had no end and no possibility of ending. Uh, like the the incompetence of all the different um, uh, administrations that uh, took place over the the over decade of Vietnam War uh, came out later in history. But like we had no choice. We couldn't even we couldn't even vote them out of office. Right. Yeah. I was really fortunate because the draft ended when I was a senior in high school. Uh, But, you know, I knew other I knew people with uh, or I mean, like I had good friends with low draft numbers. So much for freedom. It's like we're fighting for freedom, but we don't have the freedom to, like, say if we're going to fight. (laughs) Kind of. Yes, you do. You do have the freedom to fight for freedom. 
No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying you don't have the freedom to say that you don't want to fight in an unjust war because you're forced. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's a little ironic. But, uh, the, but the, vote, you know, the voting age has been lowered to 18, and that was partly because the, boom, the boomers objected so much to being shipped off to die in an unjust war uh, by our elders with no say. Yeah, that was definitely a very big uh, question for me when I was in high school, whether or not they were going to reinstate the draft for the war on terror, because it, it was it was a lot of anxiety for us because I had um, great uncles who were in Vietnam and told me about being drafted and how they didn't want to go. They couldn't vote, you know, and it was really bad. Yeah. So. I'm not. I mean, like the the boomers went through the same kind of thing that you're going through now. So I, I've got a lot of sympathy and empathy for what you're going. Through. And yet there are some who don't. It's weird. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 interesting because like who's finally gonna um uh, break this chain of like generational like abuse and mistreatment? You know, that's the question. Well, I think you need you need to have a look at what's what the boomer community, or at least the the outspoken uh, counterculture, did, and the 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 decades over which we fought for civil rights, uh, for uh, equality among women, uh, and uh, L- the LGBTQ community, and I, uh, I think like the Yang movement. I think like our greatest war as millennials has been this uh financial war against like you know fi- i i think i think like what's even worse than like regular political terrorism is like the financial terrorism that we had to live through during the recession that's what i'm going to call it i'm just going to call it financial terrorism and i think the the yang movement is the biggest um you know um way that we fight this war against this financial terrorism that's been inflicted upon us by a bunch of like greedy uh ignorant people or maybe they're just plain bad so i think we 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 start fighting this war against financial terrorism and hopefully we win the war we're in the middle of it right now well as stated earlier by robin um both the rnc and the dnc are private for-profit corporations well if they're the only two for-profit corporations for politics, doesn't that "quote unquote" uh, consist of a monopoly, and they need to be broken up? Right. Well, the the, the question is, you you know what? Like, and, and at a certain point, we got to just think of a way to beat them at their own game. I don't know. We create oh, our own. Fantastic. Run for office. Done. Just done. Could uh, is is there some way that we could get a class action suit against them? As um, I love this uh, idea under antitrust law. Mm-hmm. That would be lovely, but I am not familiar enough with law about that. Uh, Travis seems to know some I think lawyers. There is a lawyer you know? in the group. Yeah, I can I can look into that. I would need to see what exactly the DNC like how how it was formed. Um, I would imagine it's probably not a conventional corporation, so it's going to be tricky. But uh, I'll look into it for sure, and, and I'll report back. Because I mean, they really do like strong arm people out of. Uh, being able to have their own platforms or run against their candidates because they have the money and the leverage to do so. And that's how we got Biden versus Bernie. That's how we got Hillary versus Bernie. That's how we got John Kerry running against fucking Bush in 2004. I mean, it's, it's all about who's got the most money and not about who's the best candidate. Thank you, Travis. I think that's fantastic that you're willing to go look into that. Do you also have time to look into uh, the formation of the RNC and see whether they're the same? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm in law school now, so I have access to some of the research tools that would be necessary to do this. So I'm happy. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, Where are you going to school, Travis? UC Davis. Wow. Distance learning now? It is. It is distance learning. It's all from <laughs> home, and it's like everyone else I know is either working because they don't have a choice, or they're, you know, quarantined but don't have to work. And so my cousin's like, "Hey, we're all on break. Like, why don't we do this?" I'm like, "I'm not on fucking break. Like, 
There's no like there's no break. It's like you just continue doing everything you were doing before, but you have to do it from home and have less resources. So yeah. It's called it's called I'm going to school and trying to get an education and I paid damn good money for this. So even though school yeah. is closed, I'm gonna do my education from home on my own so I don't miss out. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm ha- I'm happy to look into this. I mean it's it that would be a huge win if we if we could tr- pursue some legal action like as we've seen mm-hmm. I think it was 2016 right uh so Debbie Wasserman Schultz that was like on that was recorded saying the entire reason we have super delegates is to make sure grassroots candidates can't become the nominee like she literally just said that verbatim right. not even mm-hmm. Scott. Like, okay <laughs> so we don't want people to pick the candidate got it memo received I mean at this point you know. It's four years after 2016. They're doing the same thing again, it looks like. And it's just, uh, it's like, we need some way to combat their corruption because it didn't, it didn't manage to help us with, you know, Hillary being exposed. She didn't concede. She didn't drop out because of this corruption. No, she kept going and, uh, thought that just because she was caught with her pants down, figuratively speaking, you know, putting everybody and their mother on the back burner besides her because the DNC backed her. It's like, why? Why can we not avoid this? I think it's just uh, people are lazy. And right now you, you can't afford to be as lazy as you are. Like, I don't know. The worst thing this virus can do is just make people lazier because... I get used to staying at home so long. <laughs> I've been using my lazy stay-at-home time well. I have called, emailed, tweeted at all of my damn representatives. I've tweeted, called, and emailed at whatever, um, what is it, uh, Pelosi and McConnell have been doing. It's like, I've been doing as much armchair politicking as I can, damn it. Yeah, good for you. I, th- I think it's only when we're f- going to flood them. And like, like it's two prong. Flood them, and then when they talk, pay no attention to them until they pay attention to uh, what you want them to pay attention to. If they well, want to I talk mean, about, it's working for my uh, candidates here in Montana because a couple of the times that I've called, their lines were busy. Oh, you cut off. Uh, the a couple times I've called, the lines were busy, so it must be working for some of us. Yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> And 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 then they'll have they they then then at a certain point they just can't ignore it because it's going to be eating at them all day long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, uh, it's interesting how like how, how how I see so much more political engagement in these times than we've ever seen before. Because it's literally becoming a matter of life and death with the coronavirus. Every day that they. Right. They stall on the on the UBI proposal, right. and I mean the one that they've ju- announced yesterday from that Scott Santon's retweeted. It's great. It'd be awesome. And guess what? Let's fucking get it done. Fifteen hundred for everybody, up to three kids. But but included. did you see? It'd yeah, be great. our idiot president just said he'd never sign something like that. And neither will his colleagues because of the ideological garbage that they put in it. So frustrating. Uh, yeah, like it's it's time to to call up the White House switchboard now and say we don't give a damn about whatever it says about emissions or windmills or any of that. We're we're willing to just take that and as long as that or 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 you just or then just take those parts out and just have the UBI part that's in there. Just pass that. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's such it's such a broken game, right? Like, if you think of the game theoretics of of the, from the politicians' perspective here, it's if everyone's a good actor, it's fine. But as soon as you have one person that's like, oh, we know the other side is just going to sign whatever because we need emergency UBI. The other side can just slip in one thing, knowing that the other side will just accept it, right? right. And then because of that, they can't accept it because it's an ongoing iterative exchange of legislation right through centuries so it it breaks down really quickly into both sides having to attach bs to it because they can't be the side that gets steamrolled because in the future they'll continue to get steamrolled and it's just such an unfortunate Mm. dynamic and right now 
we are in a situation where the Republican side is down five members because of quarantine and uh, Rand Paul has coronavirus tested positive and four of his colleagues are possibly pol- positive as well. He knew that he probably had coronavirus, but he still used the congressional gym equipment, probably didn't wipe it down that good, still used the congressional gym pool. I mean, pretty much all of Congress should be quarantined right now because of the shit that he did, but they've got to try and pass this legislation, yet they're still dilly-dallying. The libertarian in Congress. Yeah, go figure. The libertarian gives everybody coronavirus because he only gives a shit about himself. The last tea party you're standing. <laughs> uh, and and you know, I you hate know, to Ron- get identitarian, but like that is the ideology of like, nah, it's okay. Yeah. Just do the minimum, take care of yourself, and we'll right. have a great society. And uh, society doesn't really work that way, right? And then and then Ron Paul, his dad said coronavirus was a hoax, and his son gets it. <laughs> Karma. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, if we've all set our piece on, on this week's mm-hmm. topics, we can move into mm-hmm. a discussion on credentialism, which I think uh, yes. can be pretty interesting. Um, does anyone else have anything they wanted to say on these topics or can we move on? All right. I'm going to take your silence as a tacit. Let's move on. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. Our next episode will be a discussion on credentialism.